Jesus is the true king, reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20. Thanks, Nigel. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Well, morning, church. Thanks, bro. Hey, Jeff. I'm going good, man. Better than I deserve. So this morning we come to um, the final part in our small series, three-week series. Uh, small, but yet uh, rich, deep. Hopefully you found it that way. Uh, on Christ's threefold office, that being Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, and today, Jesus as king. Now, when I say that, I say that little phrase, Jesus is the king. I don't, I don't imagine you're like shocked, right? I mean, you, you rocked into a Christian church on a rainy day, um, and I don't think you're going to be like, whoa, that guy up there, he said Jesus is the king, far out. This place is radical, right? I, I doubt it. You sort of expect that. You, ex- you, expect, you expect the preacher, hopefully, to say Jesus is the king. But I want you to do this for a second. Think of someone, I'm assuming you know someone who's not a Christian, right? Could be a, maybe a, a brother, a sister, mom, dad. Uh, most of my family, they're, they're not Christians still to this day. Uh, most of it, my wife's family, my, my in-laws aren't, aren't believers. But that's us. Think about you. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's your sister, whatever. Not just a Facebook, some, you know, someone literally that you, that you see, that you interact with. Now imagine that you're sitting down with this person who's not a Christian, today, okay? And you're having lunch, or more fitting, I suppose, hot tea, right? Cold day. And they ask you, hey, look, you went to church this morning, and I'm just curious, this guy Jesus, you know, you say that he's the big boss, you know, he's, he's the king, or how so? Like, like in what way is, is, is Jesus the king. How do you think you'd go about answering something like that? If they, you don't need to look up here. There's, no, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's not going to be a picture of them coming up here or something. You know, everyone keeps looking over here. Um, that'd be awkward though. I'm like, ha I knew it was who you were thinking of. Um, but how, how would you, I don't know, how, how would you go about answering that, right? Like if they said to you, how, how or in, in what way and actually, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get your feedback on this. Um, let, let me hear some of your answers. In what way is Jesus king? 
Or is this just a kind of a parochial echo chamber where we're just going to say stuff like that and we don't really believe it or know what, why we believe it. It's just it is and we just kind of have blind faith. Or, or do we actually believe that Jesus is the king? If so, why? why? How come? You can throw it out there. I'm, I'm not going to be shocked or offended. I mean, uh, Sally, raise your hand first. So as she heads out with her, her young ones. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, it's helpful. So, and you brought it more personally to your house, which is very good. And that yes and amen, that Jesus is king of your house. So that, that's, that's great. Yeah, Mike? That's Mike, by the way. Sorry. You're, it's like the one thing you're not supposed to do in church, right? A new person, let's all concentrate on the new person. But um, actually, we, don't, we, we believe that we want to welcome all people. And Mike, hopefully you're not too embarrassed. Now you probably are, but go ahead, brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's the last time we'll ever see him again. Yeah. Whether, whether someone believes or not, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So quoting there from Philippians 2, irregardless of um, even some of our politicians, right? Um, regardless of what they believe, uh, they, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. At the end of the day, the truth will out, right? So, yep. Uh, a bunch of hands. Good, good, good. I, I, I was hoping I'd poke the bear enough to get some responses from you guys, but let's go with like this row. Just go quickly. Go one after the other. Ready? Kim. I'm not living my life the way I used to and the way that I wanted to. Wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, and subjectively that's true and that's good. Although, yes, that's good though. But that's good. Amen. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1. Christ has come and judged the living and the dead. Very good. He's all-powerful. He is all-powerful. Uh, maybe just, didn't, Dan, you don't, get, you don't get to contribute. <laughs> you already did a kid's talk. You get, uh, I'll go Judy, then Clark, and then we'll wrap it up. To be a king, you have to have a kingdom. Yeah, okay. And I believe that his kingdom is the whole world. Wow. Packed full of eschatology this morning, right? So that's very good. That's good stuff. Clocky. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So between Mike and Clark, very, very good. All good stuff, what you guys said. Thanks for sharing, by the way. And we could keep going. But I think most, besides Mike, Mike and Clark, all the stuff, everyone kind of was highlighting two things there. And, then, and it's fine, kind of Jesus is king of my life. I think even a non-Christian today, though, would say, well, that's nice for you, right? That's good. You know, or they might be cheeky and say, oh, well, I don't think so, you know, whatever. But all the, well, everything that, you know, people are highlighting, um, Rob, or you were saying, coming back to judge the living and the dead. Uh, Jenna, you said he's the king, he's the, what was it? He's the all-powerful king. Those are all good and right and true answers based upon Jesus' nature. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Ontologically speaking for a fancy term. And that's true. Jesus is the king by virtue of who he is. Irregardless of um, what, you know, what people believe. At the same time though, Jesus is also king in what he does. In what he does. What he's accomplished. Again, there's no denying 
He's been king from the beginning as the eternal son of God, right? Nevertheless, the New Testament teaches more than that. Jesus is king in light of what he does. He is king because of his incarnation. He is king because of his death. He is king because of his resurrection. He is king because of his ascension. Remember, um, maybe, Clarky, this was yours. What did Jesus say after he rose from the dead and he said, tell my disciples to meet me back in Galilee? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been, boom, has been what? Given. Given to me. Do you hear that language? So he's king, yes, but he's made king. It's, it's a both and sort of thing. He's king, true, in his nature. If you like that fancy term I used earlier, ontologically speaking. But he's king, functionally speaking, in, in, in what he does. Check out how Philippians 2 does exactly this. Watch, watch this. Watch, watch what Philippians... Now you can look up at the screen. Look, so... Though who, talking about Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Do you you see that's who he is? Can you see that there? This is prior to him coming to earth as a baby. But the passage doesn't end there. In verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So there's the incarnation. Can you see it? And being found in human form, he humbled himself Here comes his death by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now look what happens. The Father appoints him king, Lord, because of what he's done. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and notice the language here, bestowed on him. You see that? Bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, because of Jesus' redeeming work, the Father makes him king. Jesus is king because of who he is. But simultaneously, in conjunction with that, holding these two realities together, he is king because of who he is and what he is. He does. Colin Buchanan is a theologian. Who he is and what he's done make Jesus number one. I mean, that is legit. He just, he captured it. I even met him and I told him, I said, hey man, I quote your song, so you better keep doing some good ones. He's the nicest guy. He was like, oh yeah, you quote my songs? I was like, of course I do. Anyway. So that's the answer to your non-Christian friend, by the way. Jesus is king because of who he is. And he's king because of what he does. And that's what we're going to spend our time thinking about, his kingship today. We could talk, you brought up a good theme, Judy, about the kingdom of God. Massive theme in scripture. And perhaps on another day and another time, we will unpack that. But I want to focus specifically on Jesus being king in who he is and what he does who he is, and what he does. That's what we're going to spend our time together. If you want to kind of hang your hat on those two ideas, Jesus is king because of who he is and because of what he does. Why don't we ask the Lord to bless our time? Let's let's go to him in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning acknowledging
that this is your word. But our hearts come to you now in different conditions. Some cold, some wounded, some distracted, some disinterested, some under conviction, some in need of comfort, some in need of instruction. Lord, we could go on, but you know us better than we know ourselves. So we ask that by your spirit, you'd minister your word to each of us in whatever condition we're in this morning. Draw us to yourself. Quench the spiritual thirst in each of us. Open our eyes that we might see life-changing truth from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, who is our prophet, priest, and king. Amen. So have you ever, um, have you ever worked a job where, you know, you had a job where you have to wear multiple hats, right? Ministries like that. <laughs> yeah, right, Dan. Uh, you have to wear, you ever done that? Where you, you know, you're not just doing this job, but you have to wear multiple hats. Not, not literally kids. Not hats for sale, right? Where the guy's got all the hats. But, you know, like, as in, like, you have to do different functions, right? Um, yeah. Mothers do that. That's right. Yeah, they do, like, 5,000 hats, right? Um, I bring that up because we've been reflecting on Christ's threefold office as prophet, priest, and king. Now, you'd think it should be titled threefold offices instead of office. But it's singular to emphasize that there is only one work of Christ. Prophet, priest, and king function together as a whole. Think about it this way. When Jesus goes to the cross as our great high priest, he goes as royal king. Make sense? When Jesus predicts his cross. He goes as prophet. Make sense? To bring that upon. These threefold office, you, you can't separate them. They are organically related. Now, are you still with me? Okay. Herman Bovink, if you don't know who that is, Herman Bovink, sell all you have and go buy his four volumes on Reformed Dogmatics. But, if you don't have that, here's a, little, here's a little preview of it right now because he talks about this threefold office and this is what he said. He said, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Amen, that's Hebrews. Now, this is what he says. He does not just perform prophetic, priestly, and kingly activities, but is himself in his whole person, person prophet, priest, and king. And everything he is, says and does manifest that threefold dignity. You see? How you, and, and here's the goal. The goal of all this isn't, and, and Bobbing's the man, by the way. I mean, the goal is not just to give you a heady little quote there. The goal is that when you're reading Scripture, some of the things that you're going to focus on is his priestly work. Fair enough, right? You're going to see his, hopefully, as his cross, his high priestly work, or you see Jesus as prophet, or you see Jesus obviously as king. But God willing, as you meditate upon the Lord, as you think longly and lovingly about Christ, okay, as you do those things, that you see these things in, like related, like together, as prophet, as priest, as king, because who he is and what he does are related. In fact, the passage that was read for us this morning, 
that Rhonda did a great job. Actually, when you sort of cut it down the middle, Colossians 1, it's a great picture of Jesus, who he is, and then what he does. They're, they're, you can see it like Philippians. You can see Colossians does that. So turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. And let's have a look at what Paul does here. Now, this text, I don't know if you've... Maybe some of you just heard that for the first time this morning when it was read. If you've ever read this, man, it is just a massive, just thought-provoking... The language alone in this is just, just huge. I mean, Paul is either, he's either quoting a well-known hymn or a poem, could be a creed of his day. I, I think he probably composed it himself to combat some of the false teachers. But no matter how you slice it, the reality of who Jesus is and what he does just jumps off the page, just smacks you in the face. So this is what we're going to do. Notice in verses 15 to 17, that's our first point. Jesus is king because of who he is, verses 15 through 17. Then, verses 18 through 20, Jesus is king because of what he does. Jesus is king because of who he is. Jesus is king because of what he does. Or to Put it perhaps another way, Christ is head of creation and he is head of the new creation. So don't miss how this thing starts out. Chapter 1, verse 15. Notice he, referring, actually, jump, jump back up. Um, jump back up to verse 13. He's talking about the Father's work here. Notice, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, Oh, that is just so rich. I could give a whole sermon on that, right? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, okay, hold on. What has the Father done? If, you're, if you are a Christian, he's transferring you out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And, and you know, it's been amazing having these um, membership chats, these gospel Jesus chats is that I've been hearing that again. Those of you that are applying and saying, hey, we want to be a member, we want to put our hands in here, you're sharing your testimonies. Dan and I, I wish, in fact, those of you that are pursuing this, we all get to hear and read. Man, it is so encouraging. Dan and I keep hearing all week these wonderful testimonies of God's grace in your life. It is so encouraging. And, and I just think of this passage. He's ripped you out of darkness, transferred you. And so you go, wow, how did that happen? Who is this Christ? Who is this person? And then Paul says, step back, friend, let me tell you. He is the image of the invisible God. Boom, and then he just launches in. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Sit on that for a moment. He is the image of the invisible God. There is so much theology underneath that verse. All human beings are created in the image of God, but that's not really what Paul's on about here, is it? That's true. While we bear God's image, we are mere mortals. But Jesus is an exact representation of God. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then it says that Jesus, notice, is 
peculiar language, and, peop- and heretics have gone off the rails with this text. He is the, what does it say? Firstborn of all creation. Well, now, what does that mean? It's important to read this word, firstborn, not in 21st century English, okay? But read it in light of 1st century Greek and Jewish culture. Does that make sense? For instance, the language of firstborn is applied to the idea of rank or supremacy. The firstborn child in that day was the most prominent who received the inheritance. Uh, Like, uh, like say, in England during the 16th and 17th century, if someone had three sons, for instance, the first son got the estate, the second became a soldier, and the third had nothing else to do, so he became a pastor. (laughs) Which shows you how dreadful why some of those churches were so bad back then, right? So firstborn is simply a metaphor for the one who is most prominent, the one who is superior. Uh, A a number of modern translations read firstborn over all creation. I think that's helpful. Notice how this is developed in verse 16, though. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Wow. Unbelievable. Jesus is the agent in creation. Christ is the one in whom all things were created. The entire cosmos came into being, not by accident, not by planets colliding, because Christ said, be there. Boom. By his word of his mouth. Just think. There once was a time, if time existed, when, when none of this was here. No earth, no stars, no solar system, nothing. But there is Jesus with the Father. He existed before the first beam of light, the first drop of water, the first grain of sand, the first blade of grass, the first man and woman. Before anything was, he was there. And then simply by speaking words, he makes the entire universe I mean, can you see, look at verse 16. Look how all-encompassing Christ's work in creation is. Notice things in heaven, things on earth, things we see, even the stuff we don't see. Jesus is the one through whom all things were created. And by the way, not just the material universe, the visible world. He also created the spiritual world, the entire angelic realm. I mean, ponder that for a moment. Every angel, every demon would not exist without him. He is Lord over all because of who he is. As Ephesians 1.21 says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is king because of who he is. Um, have, you ever, have you ever witnessed an incredible sunrise? here on the coast. We live in a beautiful place. We really do. Or maybe you've seen a sunset that, whatever it might have been, that just took your breath away, right? Or perhaps you've walked along Gosford waterfront and it's just, you know, one of those days, remember when we used to have sun? And it's just one of those days where it's just shimmering. You know what I'm talking about? Some streaks of clouds in the sky. 
that, that's, that side alone can just stop you in your tracks. I try not sometimes to crash when I'm driving on, you know, because look at, wow, look at that. I just love water. And you know what Jesus says? I'm the one who made that. I made everything. You know, years ago, I was on a bus tour of the Great Ocean Road. Have you ever been down there in Victoria? Really beautiful, some really beautiful spots. Some good waves too, but I, I was down there. I wasn't surfing. I was just on a bus tour. And it was amazing to me because the, the tour guide, you know, we were showing us just these, we went, you know, 12 apostles, blah, 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 and all these things. And the tour guide had to make sense of everything. As humans try to make sense of, 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 of nature, of creation. Right, all these stunning things blowing us all away. And the tour guide, what, is, what does he do? He, he launches into these various theories of evolution and how all this stuff came into being. Listen, when people observe something phenomenal in creation, they crave answers. That's natural. How is all this here? Who made all this? Why are we here? What on earth, pun intended, is all this? And when you open up this book, friend, you have an answer. God created it all. Christ spoke it into being. Jesus is the agent in creation. It's just some dude in a white robe with flowing long hair trying to, you know, just share some love on people. Hoping we all get to, hoping we all give each other a hug. No, he is the one who stands at the beginning of time, the universe, the one through whom all of it came into being. He is the agent in creation. Not only that, friend, not only did he create, it's not like he created the world and said, all right, you good? You good? All right, it's time for me to go on holiday. I'm out. He upholds. Notice how the next verse goes here. He upholds. He is the sustainer of creation. Verse 17. And he's before all things. And notice, and in him all things hold together. Not only did Jesus create the universe, he also sustains it. Now, for those of you science dweebs out there, You'll enjoy some of these facts I'm about to share, but listen, even if the language seems somewhat obscure or a bit foreign to you, try to, try to catch the big picture and think of Christ. You ready? I'm just going to drop some facts. This is not from the Bible. You can just grab this from Google if you'd like, okay? The earth, think about Christ and about upholding, like nothing's going to, oh, of course you did that, Nigel. That's actually pretty good. In case you were wondering, I'm going to talk about the earth. There it is, and the sun. I'm, I'm scared how many pictures you put up there, and I don't even realize. So, so the earth is 146 million kilometers from the sun. Even a few million kilometers closer, and we would end up with a runaway greenhouse effect, rising surface temperatures to 400 degrees Celsius, which, you know, that wouldn't be a good thing, would it? Move the earth a few million kilometers further away and the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere would freeze, initiating a cycle of ice and cold that would kill all life. Our earth is tilted an exact angle of 23 and a half degrees off the vertical, which provides the necessary seasonal changes as our north and south poles move closer and then further away from the sun as earth makes its 365-day 6-hour, 9-minute, and 9.54-second orbit. Unlike most of the other planets in the solar system, 
Earth has an almost perfectly circular orbit. Any more and the temperature changes would destroy life. If the moon did not remain at the exact same distance from the earth, the ocean tides would completely engulf the land twice a day. If the ocean floor merely slipped a few feet deeper, the carbon dioxide and oxygen balance in the earth's atmosphere would be completely upset and no vegetable or animal life could exist on earth. The magnetic field that surrounds the earth is exactly the right strength to stop the solar winds stripping our atmosphere into space. If our atmosphere did thin out, many of the meters that now harmlessly burn up when they hit our atmosphere would constantly bombard us. You see, the fact that there is life on earth is a miracle of creation, and the fact that we have not all been wiped out is a miracle of preservation because Christ, our King, holds it all together. The universe really owes its very existence and continuance upon him. He quite literally holds it all together. Why why is your heart pumping blood in your body right now? Because Christ holds all things together, sustains all things. He sustains even you, friend, right now by the power of his word. As the Nicene Creed puts it, He is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, by whom all things came to be. Jesus is the King because of who He is. Full stop. But He's also the King king because of what He does. And that's the next half of this beautiful language that Paul uses to describe Christ as supreme. Jesus is king because of what he does. Notice verse 18. Because in verse 18, verse 18 picks up something that happened uniquely in history. Notice verse 18, and he's the head of the body, the church. Interesting. He is the beginning from the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This occurs in his coming, in his death, in his resurrection. The same one who is Lord over all creation is also Lord over his church. He's the head, and we are the members of his body. And just as Jesus is the source of all creation, so he is the source of the church. Look at verse 18 again. The language there, the firstborn from the dead. Can you see that? He is the head of the church by virtue of his resurrection. Something new has begun in Jesus Christ. He is the trailblazer, the forerunner of those who believe in him. So that if you believe in Christ, when you die, you too will be raised to newness of life. It's not just, I know it's not Easter, but that's, that's the whole, you see how massive this is? We saw Paul use the word firstborn back in verse 15, where he meant first in rank. Do you remember that? It says that Jesus was the firstborn raised from the dead. But hold on. What about Lazarus? We're just going to be cheeky for a moment. Technically, Lazarus was raised from the dead. So, pastor, you're wrong. And why does Jesus' resurrection have this particular significance? Well, I mean, again, others were raised from the dead. The answer comes in verse 19. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything because everything that is God is Jesus. Because nothing of God is absent from Christ. And so his resurrection, listen, his resurrection begins a new humanity. Lazarus, I mean, I was talking to my son about this last week, kind of, he had to die twice, right? Poor guy. So I've done this before, don't worry. I mean, he, still, he, he died eventually. Yeah, sure, the Lord rose him from the dead. That was great, wonderful, but you know, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. I don't know how long he lived after that, but he died. Christ never dies. Christ remains forever, the resurrected Lord. You see, Christ, by his resurrection, has a position of unique lordship, kingship, and authority. Something entirely new, unique, and significant has broken into this world in the resurrection of Jesus. A new beginning, a new creation has occurred when he broke the bonds of death and stepped alive from the tomb on the third day. He has risen, he has risen again, he has risen indeed. You see, Jesus is king and what he does. Is he your king now? That was really good, what some people were saying earlier. He's king because he's king of my house. He's king because... And that's where I want to land for the rest of our time. He's king because of who he is. He's king because of what he does. But just by you hearing that doesn't make him your king. In fact, the human heart is desperately wicked. And we can be very self-deceived easily, thinking, just hearing this, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm there. I'm sort of there. Kind of like putting yourself into a narrative that you don't quite fit, you see? Putting yourself into a, a story that actually you actually haven't embraced quite yet. So how, how, how do you make him king of your life? He is king. But is he the ruler of your life? You go to him, you go to Christ for fullness instead of any of the counterfeits the world offers. You recognize that Jesus can never be a mere accessory in your life. You realize that he alone is the safe harbor. So when you come to him, you find rest and forgiveness for sin. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus, friend, right now and find rest in him. And you will rest in Christ when you put him first. You don't look for rest where no rest can be found. Not in your work, not in your relationships, not in your behavior modification, not in doing better and trying harder and simply rolling up your sleeves, but only in Christ. You find rest for your weary soul. And when you rest on him, you make much of him and you show him to be king and ruler of your life. So is Jesus the first in your life? Is he first in your bank account? Is he first, is he king and ruler in your budgeting? Is he first in how you spend your time and the way that you use each day? Is he first in your relationships, in your dating relationships? Is he king in your family? Is he king in the way that you speak? 
and, and what you allow your eyes to linger upon. Is he king in your heart? Is he king in your priorities? Is he king in your life? You need to ask yourselves those things. Because who he is and what he does makes Jesus number one. You see? But is he number one in your life? Think on that. In fact, I'm going to pray. And, and before I do, we just kind of pray and sing and go on with things. I want you honestly. I'll just wait uh, 20, 20 odd seconds, whatever it is. I want you to just do some soul searching for a second. And ask yourself, is Jesus king of my life? And if you're in Christ, what areas do you need to lay at his feet and say, you know what? I'm sorry, Lord. I have been holding on to this, be it a relationship, be it whatever. And I want to repent from that and turn and give you that. So whatever areas of your life. And if you're not in Christ and you're here, you know, for the next 20 seconds, look, I'm not awkward. That If you're awkward, I'm not awkward. But I want you to really think and say, why, why, why haven't I turned to Christ as king, as master, as ruler? Because you will face him as judge, if not. So, the quietness of your heart for the next 20 seconds, myself included, let's, let's do some really thinking about these things, okay? And then I'll pray. Let's reflect now. Lord, we thank you again for your word that cuts like a knife and reorients our hearts and minds to your will. And we pray now that you would give us the grace to continue to put you as first place in our life as king. Lord, we praise you, Jesus, that you are king because of who you are and what you've done on our behalf. We pray now as we reflect upon your body that was broken for us, your blood that was shed on the cross, that we would cling to you during this time. In Christ's name, amen. So if you're here and you are a Christian and you're saying, yes, I'm trusting in Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And one of the things that we do at this church is we encourage you to be baptized. And we say, if you are a baptized believer... And we'd encourage you to participate in this moment. And by the way, you don't need to be baptized at this church. We're not saying that at all. Baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit at an evangelical church because of your obedience to Christ in the Great Commission, obedience to Jesus, not to us, obedience to Jesus. And we'd encourage you to participate in this time where we reflect upon Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed on the cross, 
And again, if you're here and you're not a believer, this, this part of the service is actually not for you, but we're glad that you're here. Please think about these things. Reflect upon these things. So go ahead and hold on to the elements. Hold on to them and we'll take them as a church together.